I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health officials say rapid point-of-care tests will soon be available in Mississippi as the state experiences an upward swing in coronavirus transmission. Then the Secretary of State's office releases data on absentee voting. Plus, Senate judiciary hearings for Amy Coney Barrett continue today under a cloud of controversy. We examine the political stakes of her confirmation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of Mississippians testing positive for the coronavirus is up, and so is the number of COVID-19 hospitalizations. To help in identifying cases quickly, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says new rapid coronavirus test kits are now being used at several drive through testing sites around the state. We are doing a free rapid testing at our community testing sites in several locations. So at the Jackson um, Old Farmers Market testing location, we're offering free rapid testing for those who, uh, who, who get appointments to come in and get tested uh, paired with a PCR. Um, also throughout the week, we'll be doing them in some of the locations in Northeast Mississippi. This is our first implementation of using the rapid tests that we received from the federal government. This is the card test you can see here and um, you get a nasal sample and use some chemicals and you uh, leave it in there for 15 minutes It'll give you an indicator of whether it's positive or negative. Um, we've had a chance to use uh, quite a few of these, and we'll be reporting out on our results as we go through this process. We anticipate next week we'll be offering uh, this free rapid testing at all of our community drive-through testing locations. But for this week, we're rolling it out only in those locations. As far as the utilization of these rapid test kits, um, certainly we're following um, the, the governor's prerogative to really focus on K-12, and we'll make sure it's available for individuals in K-12 working on distribution and utilization plan. But surely, um, uh, we will continue to offer it at these drive-through locations. And as you're well aware, uh, uh, K-12 students and teachers are priority testing individuals at those drive-throughs. So we encourage everyone to take advantage of that. 
in addition, one of our other priority groups is for uh, older folks and, and long-term care settings that don't already have access to rapid regular testing. So we're in the process of developing deployment plans so that we can test that. Dobbs is concerned about the state's health care system being strained once more. He says data points indicate the state is reversing course in its fight against the coronavirus. Last week, we had a pretty significant increase in the number of reports we received. We do think this represents increased transmission in the community. We have some other indicators that we've seen as well. We're seeing ongoing increasing hospitalizations. Um, today, we report um, 100, well, we have 145 uh, ICU patients, 69 on ventilators, and our number of, uh, of COVID patients hospitalized is up to 504, which on 10-4 of 2020 was 419. So we've had a significant increase over the course of a week. And, and today we have, or over the weekend, we have six major hospitals that have no available ICU capacity. Now we're still really early on in this, but we know how it transpired through the summer. And so it's a good time for us to start preparing for increasing, um, increasing cases and increasing hospitalizations over the next several weeks. In the summer months, cases in the younger demographics were highest, but state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says more older residents are now contracting the virus. One of the things that we talked about as, as we moved through the summer months was that we were beginning to see more cases in the younger age groups, especially in the, in the college age um, kids and younger. And I just want to remind everybody that we are also seeing a lot of cases in the older groups, uh, especially those individuals age 50 to 64 years of age. Um, and so, you know, we don't want you to focus on, on an age group and think that if you're in one particular age group that you're more protected or less likely to become infected because we haven't seen a lot of infections in that group. I think we just need to, we need to stay the course across the board we know that um, a lot of the measures that we put in place over the summer worked. We really drove our case numbers down um, with use, simple things like using a mask and, um, and, and staying uh, more than six feet apart, limiting your, your, your gatherings. And I think if we continue to do things um, like that, we're going to, you know, we, we can bend that, that curve back down uh, to where we want it and more manageable to not only uh, limit the number of cases, but also to protect our healthcare capacity and limit the impact on those vulnerable individuals, especially in long-term care settings. Since the expiration of the mask mandate, health officials have continued to urge residents to wear masks. Dobbs says some organizations now feel powerless in enforcing mask guidelines. We started seeing uh, numbers starting to creep up before really there would have been a potential impact from the mask mandate. Uh, I, I will say, though, that it certainly could be starting to uh, uh, be part of the problem as time goes forward. Um, you know, I will say personally, I've been a little bit disappointed just hearing from churches and businesses that they feel like they're no longer empowered to have their members or visitors wear masks. And um, and and I, I think that does increase risks, unfortunately. I mean, there are a lot of elements to it. You know, certainly we all have our individual choices, but as organizations, religious or otherwise, certainly would encourage you guys to do it for the safety of your parishioners or your, your employees. Um, and certainly some groups still need to wear masks. Um, you know, in some places we're doing pretty well, in some places we're not. So just really encourage everybody to do it. Um, certainly I, I know um, that there's, um, we may head back to having more and more 
mandatory masks if we can't do it voluntarily. So if we could do things voluntarily, I think that just makes so much, much more sense. Mississippi now has over 105,000 cases of the coronavirus since March 11th. Coming up, the Secretary of State's office releases data on absentee voting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A report on the number of Mississippians voting by mail-in absentee ballot is coming out as Election Day nears. According to the Mississippi Secretary of State's office, some 91,000 people have requested absentee ballots statewide. Of that number, more than 58,000 have voted and mailed the ballots back to their county circuit clerk's office. Adams County Circuit Clerk Eva Givens tells our Desiree Frazier she suspects the number of absentee votes will increase. We've been having a lot of uh, absentee voters coming in. A lot of we mailed out quite a few. Um, it pretty much varies. Like maybe around lunchtime, it picks up when we first open. Right now, we over seven hundred. We had over seven hundred absentees as of right now. Is that a high number for Adams County? Um, right now, yes, ma'am, because. In 2016, I think we had like over 1,700 absentees in 2016. So I'm pretty sure with the last two Saturdays that we're open, that number will will be, it'll be more than what we had in 16. What are people saying to you when they come in to vote absentee? Are, are they concerned about going to the polls? Um, yes, ma'am. We have a lot of people that just say they, you know, feel comfortable voting absentee. They don't want to stand in a long line due to COVID. Um, most people will be working. We have, you know, college students that just come in to vote as well. But it's, it's pretty much due to COVID. They don't want to stand in the long lines. Now that the statewide mask mandate is over, do you require people wear masks when they come in to register or to vote? I would prefer that they wear a mask, but it's not required. We can't, you know, make the voter wear a mask once the um once on election day. We can't make them wear a mask. It's up, you know, to the voter if they want to wear one or not. Is your staff wearing masks? Yes, ma'am. And we also do curbside, you know, for the ones that's not able to go into a post. So how does that work? Um, the poll workers, they go out and vote them curbside. Um, that's been going on pretty much for a very long time. I actually do curbside here with absentee voting. I or one of my staff, we go outside and we, you know, vote that person. And there's a witness right there with, you know, with you when you're voting. Ms. Givens, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. You're welcome. 
the number of absentee ballots could be an indication of the stakes of this year's election, with a pandemic causing concerns over safety at the polls. Voters are also focused on major issues like health care and economic recovery and security. Nathan Schrader, chair of the government and politics department at Millsaps College, says voter enthusiasm is usually higher during a presidential election year. I, I believe that because of the intensity uh, voter, the voter enthusiasm, rather, uh, that, that's associated with this election in terms of the intense, either intense support or passion for Donald Trump or on the other side of the, the coin, uh, intense dislike or distrust of Donald Trump. I don't expect many voters to take it for granted. So, for example, Donald Trump should win Mississippi and should win it uh, maybe not easily, but he should win it outright. Um he defeated Hillary Clinton here by about 18 points to win the six electoral college votes from our state uh, four years ago. I don't think he'll win against Joe Biden by as large of a margin because there are two factors there. One thing is that presidents, when they seek reelection, uh, for the most part, see a decline in their performance from their first election to their second. That is true. Uh, let me let's just go back to the uh, President Obama. That was true. President Obama, for example. And so I think it's yeah, the president's you know, it's hard to keep up all that momentum for that much time. Uh, but also Joe Biden has been running uh, further ahead of Hillary Clinton in terms of certain demographic groups that are critical uh, in, in other states, not just ours. So, for example, he's doing better than Hillary Clinton among, say, uh, white men for example, or for voters without a college degree. You know, those are play, those are areas where uh, Joe Biden is just simply doing better than Hillary Clinton. And if that proves to be true in most or all states, then that then Trump should win, but win by a smaller share of votes. Uh, 1.2 yes. million Mississippians voted in the 2016 mm-hmm. presidential race. Would you consider that a high number? Let me let me say there are two ways that I would address that. First of all, it's lower that 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 is still lower than it should be. Uh, voter turnout, especially in a national election, ought to be considerably. It, it is it already is higher than a local election or just a, or a regular statewide election year. But the fact is that one point two it is high for, compared to other years in Mississippi. That one point two million. But it's still not high enough in terms of uh, just talking about what that means for kind of our representative democracy and our system of government. So I'm encouraged, though, to see that right now we're based on the current statistics we have available from the Mississippi Secretary of State that we have what two million one hundred thirty four thousand some registered voters, either active, uh, a small share of those inactive. And in order for them to get back on the active voter list, they need to vote in this election. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that those registration numbers seem to be healthy. But again, there's always a huge difference between registering voters and, and getting them to turn out. So are you anticipating a large turnout this year? <laughs> well, I, I am. And again, it, it, it is in part because I, I think a, a presidential election years tend to drive a significantly higher voter turnout than a non-presidential election. And B, it, it, there's a, we're seeing already 
in uh, the number of voters in other states that are completing, say, vote by mail and other forms of early voting, the numbers seem to be up considerably millions and millions of more votes being cast than than four years ago. That leads me to think it won't just be a few states. This could be collectively nationwide. Mississippi uh, is one of the states in the country where I believe we're one of the least voter friendly states in the country. That helps hold down our voter turnout numbers, even in a even in a presidential year. Mississippi has this this antiquated list of um, 20 some disenfranchising crimes where if you've committed one of these crimes in the past, it's illegal for you to register and vote. Mississippi has an extraordinarily complicated and confusing absentee ballot process, as we already talked about. Uh, Mississippi does not allow vote by mail other than an absentee ballot that must be, you know, have a reason approved by the circuit clerk uh, for someone to receive one. So so we do not necessarily have a voter friendly process here. And that that is going to mean our, our, our turnout, no matter what it is on Election Day, should be higher. But it's likely to be held back by the fact that we just don't have voter friendly policies in place here. Professor Nathan Schrader with Millsaps College. Thank you so much for your insight on this important issue. Oh, no, uh, thank you. I'm always happy to talk about this, and I hope that people can vote and vote safely on November the 3rd. Coming up, Senate Judiciary hearings for Amy Coney Barrett continue today under a cloud of controversy. We examine the political stakes of her confirmation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today, the Senate Judiciary Committee continues the confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's nominee to fill the vacant Supreme Court seat following the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is a process clouded in controversy after Senate Republicans refused President Obama's nomination a hearing in 2016, citing the election year and the will of the voters. Matt Steffi, professor at the Mississippi College School of Law, breaks down the political stakes of the hearing and confirmation. If if we were to try to gauge whether there's a national sense of anything, we certainly wouldn't be uh, uh, considering a nominee weeks before a, the one national election we hold every four years. I mean, remember, uh, Senator McConnell told us that uh, a prin- he discovered a principle four years ago that uh, thought that you shouldn't uh, even interview or hold hearings much less vote to confirm a nominee in a presidential election year. Uh, that principle has devolved into the kind of politics of power we're familiar with. And uh, Senator McConnell, who I think sees this part of his legacy uh, as much as President Trump's, is absolutely determined 
to uh, seat Judge Barrett on the Supreme Court. If the Republicans want him to vote tomorrow, could they do that? If Mitch McConnell called the vote tomorrow, could they do it? As a practical matter, no, because I don't think all the senators have travel or health uh, situations that would make them available to vote. There are internal Senate rules. He would have to suspend those internal Senate rules and skip over the committee process. And while that's theoretically possible, it's not practically possible. But I think what we will see, and 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 for Republican senators uh, up for re-election or raising money, uh, this is a time to be in the national spotlight. Uh, this has political value to uh, to go through the, the, the steps. Um, and I think it gives Senator McConnell time to make sure he can deliver a cohesive majority uh, to uh, uh, for this vote and uh, to the president's nominee. Now, you said they can vote afterwards, but my understanding was they want this, they want a justice confirmed before the election so that the Supreme Court can rule on any um, election differences that come up. Well, discrepancies. Well, but that could happen too. If the, if the, you know, it takes a minute for a case, even an election contest to get up to the Supreme court. And so we could have a nominee confirmed within days after the election and still serve that function. If that's the case, then it seems interesting that Mitch McConnell would be intent on confirming this justice prior to the election because overwhelmingly, at least from polling, the American public is against seating that justice before the election. But that presumes that Mitch McConnell cares about what a majority of the Americans think, and it appears that he does not. And we certainly know President Trump isn't poll-sensitive. In this, in this kind of way. This plays well to the base of the Republican Party, not a majority. There are many, many, many policies um, of more immediate importance to, to many voters than this nomination that uh, where uh, Senator McConnell is swimming against the tide of popular opinion. People also want the Senate to act on pandemic relief by a sizable majority. And Senator McConnell has no intention of doing that. Uh, so uh, the, I think you have to add the, re- the relevant political calculation is what does the base of the Republican Party want? The base of the Republican Party wants to see this nomination confirmed because the advantage of 6-3 over 5-3 is that if a Supreme Court justice defected to the other side, you'd have a You'd still have a majority rather than a tie. I want to ask you about why we have a Supreme Court of nine people. How far back does that go? I'd have to look, but it goes back my lifetime, but it does not go back to early American history. It has been smaller. It has been larger. And it could be, again, that's up to Congress. And that's why uh, Senator McConnell's behavior to me, as a person who's not partisan politically, not involved in party politics at all, but I've studied constitutional law my whole career. And what we've seen in the last decade, especially, 
is a lot of partisan tit for tat and a lot of partisan escalation. The fact that serious people on the Democratic side of the Democratic Party side of the aisle are talking about enlarging the size of the court is an escalation in response to uh, Senator McConnell's manipulation of uh, of the last nominee, depriving uh, uh, President uh, Obama of the ability to nominate someone to the court. Eight months before the election and 10, 11, 10 months remaining in his term, I've got no problem with Senator McConnell holding a vote on President uh, Obama's nominee and voting that nominee down, right? That's what the Senate can do. But to say, we're going to take our toys and go home and hope for a Republican president in 2016 is just the naked politics of power. And what it invites is an escalation the next time power changes hands, as it inevitably does. Matt Steffi is a professor of law at Mississippi College School of Law. Matt, thank you as always. It is always my pleasure, Karen. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.